Well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Issue 236, I'm Kaylin. I'm Adam. And I'm Brent Wengate. And this week, we travel back to the trailer park. We've got some comic book issues. So many issues. So God, oh God, this episode is like a Twilight Zone episode podcast where it's just comics. If you don't like comics... You should still stick around because we're lots of fun. Fuck you. Why are you listening? Uh, also, uh, we've got more issues and plug me daddy. But well, first, some housekeeping. Uh, well, before we do housekeeping, this is like old school Home Superior where we just did comics. <laughs> but we're not going to do bad puns. Oh, but it's so much better than old school Home Superior where we like wrote out long, long paragraphs and then read As them. play. Remember as, as play. play? Well, people don't actually get this too, but our origin, there was only three of us and it was us three. Remember issue one? Yeah. I can. Oh, wait. Issue zero, I mean. You'll have to hunt it down. It's only on the dark web. <laughs> remember it. I can remember it right now. <laughs> All right. Housekeeping. Oh, sorry. So- no, I was in a flashback. <laughs> All right, so housekeeping, Awesome Con is coming up, and that's based in Washington, D.C. It is a comic book and sci-fi convention, uh, and we are going to be doing a panel about queerness in the X-Men. Uh, it's what? Gonna- Wait, why, are we not? Why, why, would, why would we have ever been? I don't. What? Wait, that? I don't. Like, I don't. That's so off topic for us. You know why? A series of accidents. <laughs> uh, we did assassinate multiple people. Multiple people that were. I'm not even mad about that. I think that's the way we get to be famous. Um, so, AwesomeCon, we're going to be doing a panel there. It's going to be on Saturday, June 4th at 5 p.m. Eastern. If you're in the DMV area or if you just want to travel to Washington, D.C., you can come meet us. Come to our panel. Come say hi. Come bring stone fruit and throw it at us. Come in general. I was going to say. <laughs> uh, you should get. You need to get tickets. And if you come to our panel, we get 100% of the proceeds of those tickets, which we are donating to our wallets. Is that true? That's my favorite charity. <laughs> are we? We're getting money for this, right? Oh, yeah. Really? I mean, I'm getting paid. Yeah, I don't hot about you. dog. Wait. And also a free ticket to get <laughs> a, a what? <laughs> a hot dog. A hot dog? <laughs> yeah. Awesome kind of was like, here's your hot dog. It's Jabba the Hut. It's like a green hot dog because it's moldy. And they put it in the bun. And then they squirt uh, mustard. No, is it ketchup or mustard? Which Girl, you bad? lost this thread. Where are you I going don't know with what this? What are you talking about? A hot dog. Come a on, hot, stop uh, a job, a job of the hot dog. A job of the hot dog. Jesus Christ! Our listeners knew that. I heard it laughing in my ears. No, that was just Ryan Crawl. Give me Manda Moore. <laughs> all right. Yee-haw! Let's all go on down to the trailer park. All right. We got two trailers. Uh, the first is She-Hulk. Jennifer Walters is finally on the green screen. Sorry, TV screen. Uh, the CGI has gotten some criticism from me. Uh, <laughs> but what did y'all think? Um, I appreciate that it looks fun. Love Tatiana Masli- Mas- Maslani. Maslani. Um, and I'm glad they're leaning into Jennifer Walters slash Hulk's horniness because she's a, a horny, horny person in the comics. So that's good. But I do agree with you. The CGI looks a little wonky. I'm hoping it's just an early. She just looks like she's in a different space than everyone else. The, she yes. is. She's standing in front of the green screen and is the green screen. The hardest part is the comparison between Hulk and She-Hulk. So they've had years and I'm sure they're obviously just mainly leveraging the model that they had for Endgame. That was, yeah. that was what he was in last. And I, I feel like, to your point, I'm thinking there's just a little bit... I'm hoping it's still production. There's still a couple of months out, so they might be like... Because I think Moon Knight, also when it came out, 
looked a little rougher in the around the edges and it was always still rough in the show yeah but i do think it looked better particularly towards the end um so i just yeah hope and pray that they would do a little bit more i do kind of wish they found more opportunities to like paint her up i don't know yeah the cgi is it's tough because it's the i think actually what's really holding it back is there's so there's so much work has to go into that hair yeah um which sounds crazy get pixar on it yeah they know how to do hair no, all they would do is make a pencil thin mom with like a slight hourglass butt. Like every single mom, yeah. char- every female My character idealized body. Has that, that were, model. were either of you guys bothered at all that the attorney at law additional subtitle, uh, which I don't, I don't think that that had been announced previously. Uh, uh, no, I actually kind of like that. No, no, that the trailer wasn't more curtailed or cut to be like a classic there, law I bet show. there's going to be a there's definitely going to be a second trailer that's coming. I think this was the like Marvel Action. fans trailer which is like how do we keep it fun light showcase yeah. she's beating shit up because of Tim course Roth is God here. forbid one of these fucking shows does anything but action. Um but I I definitely assume there's going to be a lot of in between uh content and I would agree with you that I hope before they release it to pull in new viewers they also do like a quick cut cuz it was I mean comedy wise it was funny like Moon Knight uh, you know, say what we want about the show, but like the trailers just didn't even hook me either because it wasn't, I really appreciate, I'm not even that big into usually like ultralight MCU, but like this seems very fun and lighthearted and I'm excited yeah. about it because Moon Knight became a little bit too self-serious by certain points and I'd rather it just be a little fun summer romp. I think we'll have a lot of great times with it. I'm glad to see Tim Roth is back. I think he's a fun actor, if not yeah. always the best. But also, uh, we see the cage that he is currently imprisoned in as Abomination, which I think is the same cage we saw at Wong walk through at the in the middle of Shang Chi after they had fought. Yeah. So it's nice that those two things are tied together. Maybe that gives us some continuity. Do but, you think that uh, Eric Bana's crying somewhere because that guy's gotten no God? He's Edward like he, no, no. He is like Edward Norton and uh, Eric Bana are just like licking their lips at all the like multiverse <laughs> no, no, no. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Their hands together. Can't wait like, to get oh, it's finally the Hulk's turn to shine. And uh, no, I I think it, they're doing such a great job of threading through pieces. And again, not to shit on Moon Knight. I think everybody wanted a little bit of some level of connection. Shit on Moon Knight, please go ahead. All right, I do it every day. But no, I just like Yeah, I, what are you conchu? Shit on Moon Knight. <laughs> I think like I think what's gonna work about this, it just like what like Hawkeye yeah. did as well, is like it is not a self serious or super focused on the old characters. It's obviously an origin story for a new character, but it's just so much more interesting where you have the heroes kind of passing the torch in some ways, like yeah. a Black Widow, Freelina Belova. Like, there's just so much more opportunity and connectivity for the shows because you can do an origin story while also getting to follow up on the characters you know and love. And I think that's what I'm so excited about because, like, I'm a, like Hulk, his hand grew back. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. assuming they'll explain that. Or, like, buff, embiggened again, buffened up. That yeah, no, a little buff and no, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I'm mostly worried for the series because even if it has bad CGI, I think people ultimately forgive it if there's really good story. And what I want is for there to be interesting legal issues that come out of like superheroism mm, that the yeah. show actually tries to deal with creatively, and instead they're going to try and shove in the normal model of these people have to punch and fight their way to solve yeah. issues. And it's a hard balance to strike, but, you know. Yeah. 
in related news, Daredevil is getting his own Disney Plus show. Now talk about a courtroom drama. <laughs> well, we'll see because there's little that's reported on it. And the courtroom drama that we've seen previously wasn't always the best of uh, what TV has to offer. I just want Deborah Ann Wall to constantly just be like seemingly like she's always going to shiver. She looks so cold in every <laughs> show that she's in. Not a criticism I've ever heard of her before. <laughs> what What do you guys want from a series like this? I want them to really build on the third season of Daredevil from Netflix because I fucking loved that season so much. Like season one is very good. Season yeah. two, I really enjoyed, but it doesn't quite hold together because it's two separate stories yeah. that like are kind of stapled together. And season three was just fucking forward momentum. And if they can keep that kind of tone... Um, for the Disney Plus stuff, which I think I know some people are worried because it's Netflix and Disney Plus. There is the uh, chance that it becomes more kidified, more like Marvelified, more Disneyfied. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think they'll do an okay job with it. I do think you're right that there are no notes for season three except for the Netflix ten episode model or whatever it is. Is like if they keep that exact kind of tone. Uh, narrative like whole style it was it was really good and it was so engaging and exciting uh so but it's clear that disney has not figured out the number of episodes that should be in their superhero show they're too short because i think they they have to spend too much money yeah and ironically like um yeah they are too short because even one division was one episode too short i think it needed one more episode for to stick the landing i think the one way that this would also work out is there is a lot less need for budget and i mean that's why the netflix shows picked half of those characters i'm sure there's a lot less need for having budgeted super special effects yeah so it's like but sadly they're still going to film him like shooting his fucking like uh nightstick to grapple onto something and fly through a win- like the most that I can compare this to I'm assuming action wise is Falcon and the Winter Soldier and really that was pretty down and dirty too besides just when uh he became Captain America so I'm 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 hoping that they'll be able to have a lot more I mean those I think from the first season the fight scene that was like basically the 20 hallway. minutes long like yeah. to your point and thinking about what we were just talking about when we did the um podcast for uh into the multiverse Multiverse of Madness, sorry. Yeah. Um, is too many fucking multiverses. Uh, is like having the Artur style. So I really hope yeah. that that is a great version of a show where, because Moon Knight kind of failed, I think, because they, a lot of these shows failed or felt worse because they were trying to subscribe too much to house style. So it's like give them that time to breathe. One, I hope uh, they improve on his costume because I think his like actual Daredevil costume looks a little wonky or looked wonky on the oh, Netflix. Oh, really? I didn't love it. Ah. I did not love I, it at all. I think all. it's it's to me it's the biggest part is the face. Does the does the actress face look super constrained? And mm. Yes, it's the Batman problem, yes. like oh, from okay. from Christopher Nolan, and like yeah. but like if they do the cowl like they did from the Matt Reeves Batman, yes, I think they could do a really nice. So you can see the jawline and. You know, Charlie Cox is a nice jawline. I was going to say, it's the face problem. Why am I not sitting on it? It's the the jawline and the cock line. Uh, um, And also, uh, like, if you want to think about the first three seasons of Daredevil from Netflix, it's like the Frank Miller Daredevil. And I'd be curious to see Uh, if they do, like, you know, a Brian Michael Bendis type Daredevil, an Ed Brubaker Daredevil, or even more recently, a Chip Zdarsky Daredevil. Like, keeping that tone, Chip Zdarsky is the latest uh, writer for, for, for Daredevil. Idiot. You just look. You look confused for a second. There was some weird ass sound going on. Uh, like, what's happening? No, Zadarsky. That's how you say his last no, name. No, I thought it was an earthquake. It was like, what's going on? No, Zadarsky. That's how you say his last name. No, um, if they do something like that, where like it's still consistent with what came before, but it's like you've talked about this before on podcast, Adam. It's like we have now uh, the MCU has matured so much that you can have different iterations 
of these characters like runs, yeah. runs like like as like from different writers. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily want them to try and recreate the Catholic guilt level. Oof, that they God, brought. no, yeah, you have enough in your real out. life, right? Mm-hmm. Brent? I thought that was. I thought they did it very well in that, but there's other things to explore with that character. Yeah. Uh, lastly, the boys has dropped a fuller trailer for their third season. It features a closer look at uh, Jason Ackles as Soldier Boy. Uh, and Jensen also, Ackles. Jensen. Why, why do I have Jason? Ackles. Uh, Jensen Ackles. <laughs> okay, Cappy. J- Jensen's not a real name. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, Neither is Brent Wimkey. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's stupid. Uh, I'm named after my mother's ex-boyfriend. It's dumb. It was a bad choice. Wait, right. really? Yeah. She just liked the name. My okay. my dad got to name the first two boys, and then did he uh, name them after his ex boyfriend? His, his ex boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. He actually just uh, pulled names out of a hat. He had one threesome, and he's like, "You'll be Chris, you'll be Sam." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, because Sam was actually oh, bef- yeah, right. Sam was born so close to my oldest brother that he, my oldest brother for his birthday got to name Sam. So he had two friends named Sammy and Tommy. So my brother's name is Samuel Thomas Buckright. Oh, yeah. That's so fascinating. Our, our family really gave up after the first name. <laughs> they just like, whatever. Drew it out of a hat. They're like, Libby, you're up next. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to call this one? Patrick. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the boys. Uh, anything, <laughs> uh, anything you're looking forward to this season? Uh, is Soldier Boy the new instant crush who would instantly crush you? I mean, Jensen Ackles is got to be in his like late forties. Mm-hmm. I would say by now he looks fucking he looks great. Yeah, he did a lot of uh, preparation for the role apparently, and like I mean, he was always hot in fucking Supernatural, but yeah. like, yeah, the old day type. I do like. I'm excited to see how they play with the character since I know it's like it's like a Captain World America. War Two, like America yeah, type, eight yeah. ninety year old guy trapped in a forty year old hot body. Um, yeah, I think the trailer the trailer makes me more excited. I think. Sometimes the previous trailers, like I, I hate the like, let's use a random fucking like song that everybody thinks is kind of quirky, and then we'll just do a lot of weird cuts of people blowing up. Like this yeah. one, it probably to your, uh, I think I might have told a little bit too much, but um, I do, I'm very in. Like this, this got me a lot more excited than the previous one, which made me feel like, you know, when you watch like a shitty trailer for like the third movie of something back in the '90s, and you're like, yeah. oh god, it's just more, more, more. This feels a lot tighter, and when I love, how do you like me? How do you like me? Right? <laughs> I just, I just also love that they're obviously building the Homelander, like, uh, fucking like right wing crazy thing of like, wow, this motherfucker's killing everybody. This is great. I love it. Yeah, and I like that they'll hopefully, hopefully they'll play with it intelligently. But I do like that they're continuing to kind of take a bit more of a modern take on what was. A shitty comic, at least as far as I read it. Oh, yeah. Totally shitty comic. I mean, like the big theme, of course, is power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I mean, like you see a little bit of uh, the Billy Butcher. Billy Butcher. Um, Oi! Oi, Billy Butcher. Uh, getting superpowers and like they're hinting that like that, that him getting superpowers is like corrupting him because he's already kind of a Machiavellian person himself. Yeah. Uh, but I think the show isn't sometimes it's like in the second season and i'm going back to this like just isn't like clever or smart enough to like make those kinds of points it's like a blunt object with the sort of like political point it's trying to make and it it just sort of frustrates me a little bit with that so the third season or the trailer for this third season this this new trailer made me feel a little bit better than the the earlier trailer but it's still i'm still a little worried i just about love what, how much season two hurt you you like can't 
I'm so never- upset. I'm so upset about <laughs> one, it. One five minute sequence. <laughs> yeah. From that what, one bad AOC. And then all She's the one it was an, also, well, this is an election year too. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah. No, I hear you. I, I can, I, I can, in that. my mind. Yeah. There is some stuff that's heavy handed. Um, I think the thing I'm looking forward to them exploring more is the idea of celebrity second chances. Mm. Um, I think having a, Homelander do all of the takes where he's yeah. saying the same thing and getting definitively increasingly crazy <laughs> is pretty great. But I kind of wonder sometimes like when you watch the show because you know the tropes or because you're thinking about celebrity and stuff or fame and power, do you think that it seems obvious to you or do you think it seems obvious to everyone? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, Clearly, there are people who watch stuff yeah. on a very surface level. I was just uh, having uh, drinks with a coworker who had never she had never seen Sopranos before, so she was like watching it, and she's like, "I just love Tony Soprano. He's so lovable." I'm like, "No, <laughs> he's a monster!" <laughs> like that's the whole point. Like this is bad, and it's like I had to do everything in my power to like be like, "No, you're watching it wrong," yeah. and I don't want to be that yeah. guy because like we already have one Clark Whitehead on the show. I was we say, you two. are to the boys as Clark is to everything that exists. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, we've all got our thing, right. you know, and so it's like I never want to tell people how to enjoy something. Yeah. This is just, it's about me and my feelings towards the show. Well, and I think, I think for that particular example too, you're bringing up the point. That, yeah. You're not, the goal is not to like, be like, what do you mean? It's more just like reflecting on the themes, the actions and the attitudes. So people do learn because people do have the grow. And I think sometimes people forget uh, media as an art form, particularly movies, TV, and particularly superheroes or even, I mean, that's like a real drama. Like that is supposed to teach you something in many ways, but it's like, I think sometimes people do miss out on that. It's like, it's the same thing with my, you know, people are just like, I like the way they smile. And you're like, okay, but like, what about when they blew that up? And like, what do you think that's an allegory to? Like, what's going on? And also, I think if you. Uh, dis- what's an allegory? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, I think. If I don't you, even know what that is. <laughs> I think if you decide to delve into politics in your in your genre fiction, I think it's fair game. Yeah. And they clearly did that with, with you know, you had a congressional, you know, or a member of Congress, definitely like the AOC stand in. Um, you know, at the end or throughout the second season and then like you got the reveal at the end of season two, clearly they're like delving into like the right wing politics and yeah. left wing politics uh, in the third season, the, at least from what the trailer can tell. It's like, I think that's fair game to right. like criticize what, it. What would you like to be the guy for? the Like the arbiter, like that you are the person who is actually able to come in and say, you're doing this wrong. Mm. And somehow you're the you're the person who's able to give whatever your version of the truth is. My friend's lives. That's a lot. I mean, that's a pretty broad spectrum. Yeah, I have a lot of friends. Okay. I yeah, that's a good question. I I'm think... kidding about that. Oh, I. I think for me, it'd probably either be what people call a charcuterie board, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, how people drive on the road. Like, I'd like to be able to, like, be the voice that comes into their brain when they've done a wrong turn or yeah. they've cut someone off and say, and like, I don't want to hurt them, but I kind of want to like do the haptic feedback that your phone does and shake them a little bit. Yeah. So you're doing it wrong. Stop it. What about you, Adam? I, this is a I good question. Yeah, I know. I'm having a really hard time picking one that feels really specific and that I would like, yeah, what do I making get? a hookah? There you go. Well, why don't we, you can keep processing that in the background and then, when you realize, Ooh. here's what I want to be <laughs> the kind of, right in. I'll be the voice of this. We can come back to it. I, I actually do have a real one. I know I kind of joked about the friend thing, but like it's really about like how you run a campaign. 
which is like what I do at work. Yeah. And there are times when people just start doing stuff and I'm like, no, you're doing it and wrong. And you work at Call of Duty, right? Yeah. Yeah. I do. Uh, but only Call of Duty 3. Um, the one where they're in... Space. Space. That was a yeah. long time. Yeah, I was like, I don't know if they've made a three in a while. They keep uh, rebooting and remaking I, ones I, and twos. I've never played Call of Duty in my life. But no, it's just like I run political campaigns and it's like, you know, in, when I see people like just starting to like throw tactics without strategy or like think about tactics before strategy or goals, I get super, super, super frustrated. This sounds so cheesy or I don't like it but it is top of mind for me because I spent an entire kissing no <laughs> you're not bad. doing it. you're doing, doing it wrong mouth, mouth. too no. much teeth why I are, just, why are you not, opening your mouth all the way because he's an alien from aliens it, is my head like an egg you weird fucking no I will I will say my my full time professional gig is like doing more like people and culture I do feel like the arbiter in that way because there are so many fucking people and so much fucking culture. Sure. No, but they like people just don't put two and two together. It could be employees, it could be managers, it could be business leaders. It's not really any level, but it's like when you start talking to people of like how to listen, how to think, and like I, uh, Richard, I was doing. You're gonna go. You're listening bad. No, it's just well. That's what I mean. It's like, what do you think these people are trying to tell you? Like everyone's always like, oh, well, they just want more money, and it's like, no, you fucking idiot. They want a better, a more complete job. They want more of this. So I, to that point, yeah. is like, there's so many people that I think use their perceptions of how they think about work yeah. to influence other people. And it's always like, you're not getting it. Like you're not getting it. I don't know about you. I just want more money. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you more wake pizza up parties at, at work. But wait, Brent, Brent, when you wake up every day, what do you want to do when you get out of bed? <laughs> get more money. money. I want to go back to bed. Money, please. Money, please. All right, let's move on to the issues. The issues is our weekly recap of all things X, along with a few of our favorite Marble House writers and characters. This week we have, god damn it, so many. Immortal X-Men number two. X-Men Red number two. X-Force number 28. New Mutants number 20. I'm not even going to read these fucking things. We'll just go into the, the thing. Uh, but what we do have a real big call out for is Eternals number seven through 12 ahead of the massive Judgment Day crossover. So let's talk Immortal X-Men number two. Uh, writer Kieran Gillian uh, and artist Lucas Wernock. Newest Quiet Council member Hope narrates this issue as she and the rest of the Immortal X Men fight Celine's kaiju. Just I love that there's fucking kaiju all the time now, and they're they are not stopping saying kaiju. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, uh, there's a whole fucking info page, and yeah. I love that. that oh, the, oh yeah, we, I want to get into that. Yes, uh, based on the events of the last issue, Celine, who is super pissed that she didn't make it on the council, decides to throw in her lot with Clan Akaba over in the UK. Thanks to Mister Sinister's chimera experiments and a pretty badass maneuver by Hope and Magic, both Celine and her kaiju are dealt with. A recently killed Selene is resurrected, but Hope and Exodus keep that a little bit of news to themselves. The issue ends with Destiny doing what she does best, being vague and fainting. What is she, Jean Grey? <laughs> ah, people, ah. people hate that fucking hey, You're a ghost. Is. You're a ghost. You hear that? You fucking Jean Grey stands. She faints a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's, not, she's not Jean Grey. She's Marvel Girl. She's Jean Grey. <laughs> Uh, what'd you guys think of the issue? Uh, I loved it. I, this is like, I've wanted this book for a long time. I even mentioned that. I think when we reviewed, uh, issue one, um, I think hope like having, uh, some agency of her own is fantastic. And she hasn't had that really Mm -hmm. since probably second coming or actually generation hope, uh, the series that followed, which also Kieran Gillen wrote that too. So, uh, like her talking about like, look, when did I stop being such a badass? When did I stop being a leader? Like, I need to be a leader again. And, like, 
what a great addition she is to the Quiet Council. And how much did you like uh, her interaction with Exodus? Who this is like the most we've seen from him, really outside Fucking that one. They're kill. They're both killing it. Like that's why it. this is so good. It's like two characters that never got a lot of screen time in the past, like what five fucking years that we've read this, read these comics. I'm yeah. like, wow, they're great. It's also deeply satisfying that the kaiju that Celine summoned wasn't as essentially stupid as the Trial of Magneto's. Oh yeah, monsters. Jesus. That instead. This one actually had a deep psychological effect on how do I handle the problem by making the kaiju out of the gateways and the connection to other world, which is a weird concept, but I really like that it it's means you stakes. have to do something yeah. else to it. So we got to see uh, Sinister's first like chimera experiment in action, yeah. uh, even though it's hinted <laughs> so at in deep. Powers of Ten way back when. But we also got to see it kind of um, a little bit in the uh, the interactions from some of the characters, Storm and Magneto, the way that they work together yes. to use their powers to take down the kaiju. Yeah, love it. And then Magic and Hope in that fuck it, that scene, I almost like jumped out of my chair because I loved that scene so much. Where like Magic uses her warping powers, and you know, um, de- plus Destiny. Destiny is like you have. Yeah, she will be here. Uh, and like you know, she actually like she's actually accurate for once. Yeah, Thank you, Destiny. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, Hope decides not actually using her powers, just using her training from Cable when they were in the future, uh, taking out Selene that way. So fucking good. The the ability to capture these so many distinct voices so well, I think, really comes through when you look at um, Nightcrawler and Mr. Sinister. Yeah. Because so Night- good. Nightcrawler's like, eh, you know, okay, whatever, fuck you, dude. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Sinister's, you know, kind of begging and pleading with them. Nightcrawler's yeah great job good and the Mr. Sinister immediately feels this smug satisfaction (laughs) from having tricked him yeah it's so deeply satisfying to see characters who don't get much time still have good characterization because then even if they're just plot instruments it makes the world feel more full. Well, it's pieces on a chessboard to your point. Each, like they could take small moves and they could take big moves each issue. And that's what I think works so well about this, particularly as they're switching up narration each time. So it was sinister first. Uh, and now it's hope. Is there some, how do you think about that? And then is there someone you want to see next? Um, good narration. I, I actually would like to see Nightcrawler next. Mm. Um, cause I just think he's so different from sinister and from hope where you have this person who is like so good, good to a fault, like naively good. Did we not get that in way of X? I guess we did. But I, I mean, I just think seeing that, like seeing his perspective on what has happened. All he with- did was fucking talk about the religion that he was creating and that they never really did anything with. So yeah. I, I do appreciate knowing what he's like on the seat. I think Colossus could also be really good because he's obviously the sleeper cell. Yeah, unreliable narrator Colossus right. would actually be interesting yeah. for sure. I mean, more Mr. Sinister in my mind. <laughs> I did. I, I was you, hoping it'd be a Sinister told, view. If you told me after the first issue that the person who would like try and help save the day the most would be Mr. Sinister, I would not have believed it. But him going after Nietzsche... And then just taking a bunch of roids and screaming <laughs> that I should become the monster. It's perfect. It's it's actually great. Actually, why don't we just say Emma should be narrating the next issue? We all love our Emma Frost. Yeah, they they are downplaying a lot of the, which is great. Again, like I, I could also see more of Exodus. I am so glad that they're doing something with this character because as a 90s cartoon watcher and semi-reader, I never have gotten a hold of 
it. I just was like, oh, what a cool costume he has. Yeah, basically. I mean, and playing up like, I mean, him being a first an, like an acolyte of Magneto and then leading no. the acolyte and being a fanatic and like having that like sort of like he's standing hope and she's like, okay, yeah, this no, is great, yeah. but also you're fucking crazy. What did you guys think of the actual move that Hope makes to kill Celine with the magic bullet? Um, the Mysterium bullet. The Mysterium bullet. Yeah. <clears throat> as far as her character goes, because it seemed like she immediately had to justify, I didn't break any of the rules, and it was something that was absolutely necessary to do. It, it fits with her character as she was originally written because this is a, a a girl now a woman who was raised by Cable to like deal with like the absolute like horrors of the future this apocalyptic future uh, and where like um, Bishop was basically hunting them down to try to kill her because uh, her existence led to his dystopia it was a really weird time it's a good I think it's a good two parter kickoff for Immortal X Men too because it it feels like actually a really clear pilot because it's sort of like you know, you want to introduce all the key players and you also want to introduce hope on the council. And then like, it's such a bold move and a bold way to finish. I think these two issues that it really solidified her on the council, took Celine off the board and now makes me want more of that character while also being very clear of who she is, but not giving everything away. Um, and you know, they also all, I don't, I didn't see it. It was believable. I think too, it was like, I didn't feel like there was a major negative, um, but yeah, what the fuck is Destiny fainting about? You're you're a ghost. <laughs> you're a ghost. Maybe it's like reverse Scooby Dooing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you? Th- well, it's weird because I'm like, who would still be a ghost? Because I didn't even think about this until now. Was Blindfold ever resurrected? Mm, she's gonna have to be. Well, now. Just, now that I was just thinking about that, I'm like, Blindfold. They were all keeping precogs off, but like they did Destiny. Are they still not resurrecting all the precogs? No, no, no. They're resurrecting everybody now. Yeah. They're all they're all like coming back. So could you imagine just being so low in that queue? Like how annoying that would be? I, I wouldn't be able to imagine. I'm just in a queue. I'm in a queue. I'm like I'm just like it's like it's like I don't it's like exist. Beetlejuice where you're just sitting in that like waiting room. Before I was yeah, but like, born. Could you imagine? Before I was born, I couldn't imagine. Yeah, but but if okay. So when you die Do they know that they have to wait in line? <laughs> like is it just like a ticker that they're, they're yeah, constantly they, it's worried? It's just a beeping number above oh, your head. Oh, we're on 3,338. Now 98. <laughs> Come get your beef. You got to pull a ticket from that red. Meanwhile, meanwhile, fucking Quentin Quire is cutting to the front of the line, all of these. Oh, my God. Let's get, let's get red. Let's get red. Let's get bread. No, I mean, let's get red. Uh, X-Men Red number two by Al Ewing and Stefano Casali. Uh, that sneaky, crafty, double agent brand recruits Vulcan to join her X-Men Red team. <laughs> which also consists of Cable, Frenzy, Metallo, uh, Random, and Manifold. Well, Manifold was also on the list, but Manifolded because he knows Abigail is up to some shady shit. Uh, the team's official remit is to watch over the Arakans, but we quickly discover that Brand is trying to move them back to Amenth. She orchestrates a ruse that has the pro- progenitors... I can never say that word Progenitors. Right. Progenitors. Uh, progenitors. Progenitals? Pro- <laughs> I'm progenitor. I hope you are, uh, to attack the planet while her X-Men attempt to repel them back. Turns out she did this just so she could get data on Cable's techno-organic viral package. Wow, quite a package it is. And what she didn't account for is Storm's new brotherhood of not-so-evil mutants showing up to save the day. And the issue ends with Abigail manipulating Vulcan to attempt to kill Tarn the Uncaring, so she can have her own agent on the Great Ring. 
So Cable's whole thing is that if he doesn't have the techno-organic virus, he's too powerful of a telekinetic. But then if it's too much of the virus, then he turns into the phalanx. Yeah. <clears throat> I think the way that I've always read it previously was that it was only because of his his uh, telekinesis that he's able to keep this thing at bay. Right. Right. Has it ever been established previously that... Without it, he's too powerful. That's what I mean. I never it's realized. Ex- it's literally X-Man from Age of Apocalypse. What, I know, but yeah. I never realized the reverse is like he needed to have it. Because I was like, well, they could fucking get rid of the phalanx that easily. Let them do it. Yeah. I don't know if they can get rid of him that but, easily. But has that, has that come up before? Not the other way around, but it's come up the way where like his, if he doesn't have the techno-organic virus, he's a super powerful telekinetic and a telepath oh that's like yeah, that's yeah. nate gray from the oh age i see now yes okay X-Man. sorry i see what you're saying yeah, yeah. yeah i got it so um what do you guys think of this issue overall oh, great i thought it was really fucking fun love vulcan's like development and storyline like they are i mean let's uh let's just first announce before we jumped in all of these like this is a good week for x comics like oh, oh there's not a dud in the bunch everything is making sense they're taking each issue at a really good pace and cadence which is also really surprising because it's also ahead of the gala. So I was assuming they'd be rushing to the fucking finish line for a bunch of plot lines to start a bunch of new ones. But I, you know, I've, this is really, I mean, it's only two issues in obviously, but it's really good. And, um, they're playing with Abigail really well and just fucking storm bitch. Like I, I'm surprised you didn't call out in your recap how, much I came, but I did come a lot while I read this episode. I've done it so many times. I, I figured you'd just say now, But my God, like, this bitch served. She slayed the entire planet of Araco and especially in that in that getup. My God, the line that I love the most is in the infographic page of Abigail Brand's like sort of log or diary or whatever, uh, where she goes, "I thought I was dealing with the Queen of Quanda, but I'm really dealing with the Queen of the Morlocks." I'm like, "Motherfucking yes!" yes. I like died. It was so I, good. I did read that with you in mind. <laughs> it's uh, but it's so, so great. Good. It's I such do a, think that, such good writing. Uh, we have not gotten enough on the actual Rockies themselves. True. And to see the difference culturally of what it would mean yeah. to fight. Like you can you I've got to get people away or I've got to cause a distraction for a culture that is war based has a different in- implication is so exciting to see played out. I do love the idea though, that even the weakest Iraqis are like, fuck you. You don't save me. I'll save myself. And then they just get obliterated. Yeah. <laughs> like I just enjoy that so much of like this almost survival, of the fittest, but turn like knowing very well that you're not going to, you're so not, it's like, yeah, but like I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's my agency way. to do this, not right. yours. And I do love that. Like, it's like playing off the whole thing of like, what's a colonizer and what's not. Who is actually embracing culture and who isn't. This might be the first time we've ever seen Iraqi actually like smile because we got this weird little Muppet circle who see the brotherhood arrive and they're so excited for Aurora and also that's Fraggle Rock, bitch. What is that? (laughs) The unarmed king. Yeah. Uh, You know, the, the, the sea, the longshoremen. He's the unarmed king. What the fuck is that? The Fisher. Oh yeah, the Fisher King. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just think he's. Uh, I think he's an Iraqi that doesn't really have any like noticeable powers or right. any powers. Yeah, he's a he. I because I if I'm remembering correctly, yeah, he ended up in Amenth and he doesn't have. Yeah, there's no power. He was born. Yeah. With no power, but yeah. I guess he's still Iraqi. Do you think that with this uh, light him up robot guy, they just thought to press the buttons in the right order, in order to stop him? That was a. I do find it weird that they add it. That was such like a weird thing to add in of like, yeah, so their progenitors are there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, 
Um, I no, I like the continuity, the progenitors, and um, my God, I just lost my train of thought. But uh, do you guys think that Manifold is going to come back and join the Brotherhood? Oh, I, I like that he's already suspicious of Abigail. I yeah. think that makes a lot of sense for his character. Um, and I'm surprised. I do you think he's going to be? What? Into, well, he's going to re. It's a thread that's gone away for a second, but that is going to come back. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was going to say you were going to mention the Cable thing. I, Ka- think. Ka- I think Cable is playing Abigail yes. because like he's too smart not to see through what she is because you know like the guy like clearly like un- like I think like once he realizes like what happened with his his arm the techno organic yeah. virus that like he's going to start like putting pieces together and he may have already done that before. So do they need to get more techno organic virus to put back on his arm? It, I'm assuming they're going to. Like, do they have a Petri dish somewhere? He has another arm somewhere. Remember, he has like multiple arms. Oh, okay. Oh, right. The little like uh, the tattoos that yeah. they change. But no, it it does make sense that it's likely. It's obviously yeah, build up to what the with, you know phalanx coming. He just back has and like stuff. a barrel of arms. Blah, blah, blah. He's pulling another one out. What tattoo? What would special arm would you have? I'd like a harpoon gun. Oh. I always thought that'd be fun. Grappling hook, maybe. Mm. Yeah, that's like a harpoon gun or like smoke machine. I want yeah, a fucking again, be- like a harpoon gun. <laughs> I just want a beam gun. I want a Mega Man. Uh, oh, yeah. Vulcan is fucking nuts, and I am not surprised he is one of the Summers brothers. I am so glad they're leaning back into Crazy. that characterization because, you know, you had um, Vulcan when he was introduced, you know, in Deadly Genesis, and then when it was like the War of Kings stuff, all that was great. And then when they brought him back, when Hickman brought him back, like he just seemed like, oh, like he's just hovering fine. around. Yeah. He's just hovering around. But they did a, such a good job with the retcon of Petra and Sway. Because, because originally, um, um, they they were originally supposed to, um, you know, that was, I think, just like a kind of a continuity error. And the way that they dealt with it, like that, the fact that he is actually a, um, yeah, he is actually a, um, you know, like these are light projections. Uh, and it's a manifestation of his problems. Uh, it's it's absolutely um, yeah. It's, it's just it was really well well. Well, as somebody who doesn't know Vulcan well, I think um, seeing this just fucking psychopath, I'm like, I love it because I think the summers, you know, in general, you start with Cyclops, and then as you learn more about them, you're like, oh, most of the family is a bunch of fucking assholes. Well. They're assholes, and they're all just damaged, traumatic people or traumatized people. And like Cyclops himself is traumatized, but he's learned how to like handle it. And like this is like the most stable that Cyclops has ever been ever since his appearance. Um, yeah, pretty great stuff. Um, what's next? Well, why don't we move on to X Force number twenty-eight by Benjamin Percy and Robert Gill? So the sentient Cerebro unit has gone on a murderous rampage, which spooks resident Krakoan bad boy Kid Omega. Not so bad anymore, are you? Wolverine and Domino attempt to stop it, but since we have at least two more issues of the storyline, it's as futile as the editor note describing Ten Deaths of Wolverine as a classic. The issue ends with Cerebro going after Black Tom. Oh, and Sage attempts to bond with Omega Red. What'd you think? Um, yeah, what the fuck was that calling it a classic? I I actually got kind of annoyed by that. Well, I, I mean, maybe yeah. it's a polite thing. Well, it's also Benjamin Percy wrote that. He wrote this, but... Um, that was the second time he did it, too, because they did it in the first issue. I'm like, stop it. Just stop calling it that. The now classic. <laughs> right. Yeah. The idea that Quentin Quire is getting these husks to run around in. That's is, really interesting. It's a fun sci-fi concept. And I do love that the five are like, hey, this seems like a problem. Maybe we shouldn't be just carte blanche making bodies. Not only do they say it's a problem, they, they call out 
the X Force, where it's like, listen, we know you're like the Quiet Council's like special, like mm-hmm. special little children. Yeah. But like, this is you should be worried about this. Um, Cerebrax, I think, is a lot of fun. I'm glad that there's a B. Uh, B movie style like monster, yeah, just running around the, eating brains. It's a good reboot, I think, or like re kick off for X Force because I do think that it got so boring with the fucking like plant shit. Yeah, well, also the Hang Ten, whatever, not Hang Ten, whatever that. Um, that was terrible. No, it's that terrible eighties movie. Uh oh, Point Break. Yes, and so just in general, Hang Wait, ten. why did you say Point Break? The Surfer. That's not a terrible movie. No, Point Break is a good movie. But it's like a cheesy... But I just mean like I love this like more exactly no, it's like... It's a great... It's a the, film. But you know... Creature if, Feature's great. If they ever made a movie about me, they'd call it Hung Ten. Oh my God. Hang yourself for 10 seconds. Because he's got a big dick on every toe. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no, it is... You're right. It's a lot of fun. And also, going back to your earlier point, Adam, about like how all the X-Books have been really good. Uh, they've been really good with Destiny of X because it feels like the writers got to take a little break. And... Um, between uh, Hellfire Gala last year and Inferno, yeah. like they were all treading water because they're like, oh, "What do we do? What do we do? We've got to get to this like endpoint." And it's yeah. just like it's like we can't really like move the plot along. And so it was all like a lot of filler stuff, but it was filler stuff across the line. So right. Quentin Quire approaches the cuckoos and he's trying to talk to Phoebe and tell her, "Hey, there's a dangerous monster that if it got possession of you, you know, it could be catastrophic." The cuckoos respond by, "I'm just gonna, we're just gonna go for a little swim." Uh, what did you think of that response? Because I kind of loved that. There's now not. I don't love the response. I think that's terrible and dangerous in a world <laughs> where these things regularly happen. Yeah. But I love that that has created a scenario now where it'll be very clear that Quentin will show up, try and tell them something. Mm-hmm. They are so inclined to ignore it. Yeah. That it creates a larger problem because of it. I think it's a very um, human response to it, especially like after you have a bad breakup with somebody yeah. and you're just kind of done with them. It's like, I don't care what you say. I don't care even if you're. it's like the truth or reality. Like you are a flawed messenger in my eyes. Yeah. And I also did like, even though I made fun of it, I did like that Kid Omega, uh, Quentin is now like scared. Yeah. Like his like bravado has been being chipped away slowly and slowly. And he's like, this is supposed to be paradise. We're supposed to be safe. We haven't been fucking safe this entire time. And now we've got like a rogue Cerebro unit coming and trying to eat our brains and take our powers. What the actual and fuck? And they have not lost the thread of his own self-development. Right. He's like, yeah. still like, I was a piece of shit. There are ways I'm still a piece of shit. Yeah. But I want to be better. Yeah. Should we move Let's on? New Mutants, I'm 25. Also, wait, are you guys a fan of Pink Kane Marco? A pink, I think you look pink. good. Pink juggernaut, I, hot pink juggernaut. Honestly, when he was playing around that, it took me so like I mean, not took me so long because it was like one panel. But I was like, when the it fuck did he get that so new outfit? Like I didn't to put, decipher this. Panel. I didn't put together that it was Kid Omega. I was just like, why is, is this launching juggernaut into like Legion, you know, Legion of X or whatever? And I was like, oh, never mind. Uh, let's do New Mutants number twenty five. Writer Vita Ayala, artist Rod Reese, and Jan Dursema. Despite Rain and Danny's protests, Magic is dead set on passing on her dead. Well, <laughs> passing on her Queen of Limbo throne to a recently resurrected Madeline Pryor. As a result, we get some wonderful reminiscing of the original Inferno crossover and even Ileana Rasputin's original miniseries from back in the eighties. Sim, her former subject, has other ideas which include taking over the hell dimension for himself. During the battle with Sim's forces, Ileana loses her soul sword. And she, Madeline, Rain, and Danny are transported to an especially cold day in hell. 
What'd you guys think? Loved it. Uh, I absolutely loved it because it was the references to Inferno and Vita does such a great job of writing Madeline and magic and their interaction. And all of it rang true where you have a, you know, magic, two of magic's best friends, uh, Danny and, and rain basically telling her, this isn't a good idea. This isn't a good idea. And she finally goes, stop it. If you trust me, then you fucking trust me. And it's such a real moment. It's like, like, look, I've told you that my existence has been a literal hell. And, like, I am trying to move past this. And it's like, who do you want me passing this on to? Like, if not Madeline, you know? It's like, well, you can't trust Madeline. And Madeline's even like, you really shouldn't trust me. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's like, look, there's no good reason for you to trust me. I All the character stuff was so good. Yeah. And it finally felt my biggest sort of criticism of previous issues of New Mutants has been great character stuff, meandering plot. This felt super tight in, in like some of the best ways possible. I agree. Rod Reese's art is just so beautiful. Yeah. It's sublime. I, I'm, I'm and it gets better every issue. It. Yeah. I want huge panels of it. Um, I love, I mean, we talk a lot about different people's outfits and whether or not it fits the character and how sometimes there are outfits for Emma Frost specifically that are overly sexualizing that don't fit her character. Um, but I think that this outfit for Madeline Pryor is perfect. Oh yeah. Her fucking tits so are out yeah. and she's got this ominous fucking giant gemstone right in the middle of her tits. Love it. Love the look. I want more of her. I think, uh, I know we never talk about planning on this podcast or when we do, we always get called on it, but it'd be really fun to go back and review the original Inferno on this podcast because I haven't read. I haven't read it in a while. No, moving on. It's my. It's it. It is the X Men storyline that got me into the X Men. It's, it's such so a weird. Good. I think I'm finally ready for it because I. I feel like all the time I would always be like, "Well, this sounds like a fucking weird ass plotline." For what my experience, understanding, and jump on point for the X Men was. Yeah. But I. I do think even seeing the reprint and reading through some of that stuff, I was like, "Oh, so I are, love it." Are we sure that the the demon who helped get sure whatever his name like the is. shadow sim yeah yeah sim yeah uh, the you know little war flail that that is belasco or do you think it might be someone else uh that's a good question i think there i think it might be a red herring yeah. uh no pun intended but who's like, red herring <laughs> it's oh it's <laughs> oh my god wait that. yeah belasco's a red herring Madeline Pryor has red hair. It's her, even though she's gonna get it anyway. There's something else going on. I love that in communism. She's also a fish. Honestly, I, that's a pretty good theory. <laughs> so, um, the character of Sim, uh, you'll you'll love this, Brent. You know the you know the graphic novel series Cerebus. Yeah. So know the, it. I've read it. Hey, I, I know, know it. Cerebus. Uh, <laughs> waiting for the Cerebus every day. Um, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> stupid. Well, so Did the you just say that. Uh, the, <laughs> you know, the character of Cerebus is an aardvark, right? Yeah. And looks is kind of like, you know, a little Nothing like, pear like shape. an aardvark, <laughs> Not, but like a little pear shape, right? Yeah. Sim is based on Cerebus because it's Sim, like Dave Sim. Oh. And he looks like, that so like, fun. that was like a little like joke that Chris Claremont had. Oh, that's cute. Back in the eighties. So I yeah. Like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to Wolverine number. T- oh, we didn't even talk about the interludes. I'm sorry about like. In I loved it. Art was beautiful. The yeah. little goblin. It was so cute. They turned them into D and D characters. Basically, yeah. you didn't like yeah, it. Did Go fuck like yourself. That. I did not like that. Yeah. I hate Get it. Out of here. I hate when someone is telling you a story and then they tell you a fabled version that is the exact same story but dumbed down in a way that isn't clever or interesting. Maybe 
there is some interesting twist that they're going to add to it, but I doubt it. It was certainly the artwork that helped because I just, I just thought it was so beautiful and I love seeing their little characters like transformed into even more like character class type stuff. I agree with you that it wasn't like, <laughs> I even like a fucking idiot was reading the first part and I was like, wait, is this about Madeline? Cause she was the goblin queen. And then I was like, Oh no, never mind. I'm a fucking moron. <laughs> um, also, I really appreciate. So Jan Dersima is like an old time artist. Like she's been around for a long time. And like when she did the art at the end that like looked very eighties, yeah, it was very much reminiscent of the magic miniseries from the eighties, right. which no, is gorgeous. Yeah. Which is like, it's just, it's old school, but in the best way possible. Right. That miniseries is also like really kind of bat shit because that is the one where, like, Ileana, where she's first introduced, she's this child and, like, who barely speaks any English, uh, you know, is just, you know, Peter's Peter's sister. Yep. And then, like, in that miniseries, they actually age her up and then make her into magic and then, you know, lead her into being the dark child. So, um, just really good stuff. All right, now we can move on to Wolverine. Why are you Clark this week, by the way, Brent? You just keep jumping on in. No, that was me oh. jumping. Everyone stop being Clark. <laughs> no, 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 the spirit of Clark is with us. Yeah, yeah it's the Clark side. Um Wolverine number 21 by Benjamin Percy and Andy Kubert. In the best Shane Black buddy comedy since Lethal Weapon 2, Wolverine and Deadpool are on the run from danger. Watch yourself. Show me what you're working with. Uh, with a handcuffed briefcase we saw last issue, we get more confirmations of Deadpool's bisexuality or pansexuality as he hits on a nonplussed maverick. And since the merc with the mouth is involved, there are betrayals upon betrayals. Oh, it turns out that the briefcase is carrying what looks like an upgraded danger herself. What'd y'all think? I'm annoyed that... Um Maverick is that attractive because he's very generic, but I'm always just like, I bet Maverick's really hot. <laughs> no, so he's was, he's super he's a super handsome German guy. He's a real Maverick. Uh, uh, he's he's the uh, what is that called? Mel Gibson Maverick. Um, wow, no one's seen that movie. Or no, I've seen that movie. Yeah, I was thinking about the Top Gun. Maverick. Uh, sorry, what does this have to do with Riverboat Casino? I don't know. The issue was fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're definitely on the danger uh, of, I, of gambling. When it you're is on a, a riverboat. It with was definitely. Maverick. Oh my god, them's fight. Them's fighting words. It was definitely a good issue. Deadpool is adding so much to this fucking stuff. It's just just like with Cable. Like I don't want to read Cable. I want to read Cable and Deadpool. I don't want to read Wolverine. I want to read Wolverine and Deadpool. It, it makes me wonder uh, why cuz the there have been so many moments in Wolverine that we think like, "Oh, this will be an interesting way for this to go." And it always kind of reverts back to being some version of X-Force. Yeah. And I don't know why they aren't just including us all in X-Force. Oh, like is it well, there's just not enough, I think. And well, A, because Wolverine sells like fucking hotcakes. Yeah. So they're not I, gonna I know. I don't need that explanation. I just I don't know. Money, please. Money. Well, cause then I, I think to your point, if they did combine it, it'd be a huge disservice to the rest of the characters that are in X Force because it's And Wolverine is still featured. In I know, X-Force. he's still in every fucking issue of X Force. <laughs> this motherfucker's teleporting everywhere and he's well, like showing it, up in the Avengers, I'm sure. Well it's like when Steve Fox told us when we interviewed him, plug for our, our interview with Steve Fox, where it's like if you go on Twitter, you think that Wolverine yeah. is the least liked uh, X character, but like no, you go into like any comic store, you look at comic sales, and like he still sells like hotcakes. He's very popular. He's our Big Bang Theory. Oh yeah, that's right. It does. I hate that comparison, but you're so right. This I do feel. I'm a bit disappointed that the issue was so dragged out in terms of like, what is the, when does Danger get to talk? I want to see some interaction. Like, it was again. His whole exposition was hilarious. Like that. He's writing Deadpool wonderfully. Yeah. Um, I'm really enjoying the issue. I just, I just wanted to have pace because I worry it's going to come to like a crashing finish. In terms of wherever the the plotline might go next, potentially, but it's so beautiful to look at because Andy Kubert just you know chef kiss, just gorgeous, gorgeous fucking art. 
Let's do Thor number 25. Writer Johnny Cates and Mar- uh, artist Martin, Martin Cocolo. Banner of ba- is it Banner of War? Is it Banner of Banner, yeah, Banner War? Of War. Yeah. Continues from the last week with Odin and Bruce Banner fighting it out in the Hulk psyche. Bruce sort of relies, relives what it's happens in El Paso, and Tony Stark defies Captain America to go after the Hulk in the Black Hand of God. Um, what do you guys think? Mostly, I just want Donny Cates to start writing the Avengers because I really like the like the way he does the interaction between yes. like Steve and um, Steve and Tony, Tony, and also clearly he knows how to write both Thor and and Hulk. So. It's a good resume builder for the Avengers. I don't find this plot and like I don't really care about any of this. It's, I just think it's fun. Yeah. I don't think it's particularly like great or like groundbreaking, but it's fun. Yeah, there's so many little vignettes and smaller parts of the story that I think are really interesting, but it feels ultimately very wandery when you look at the context of like where this whole story is gone. Yeah. I'm also getting really this is very minor. I'm getting sick of people writing things on the side of Thor's hammer. I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm tired of ultra versions of the whosoever. It's just stop. We get it. There's text on the side of it. You don't have to subvert things. What but. if Mjolnir like started advertising for like sponsorships? Yes. So it's got like, you know, shell oil, yes. you know. This is brought to you by Tesla. Malk. Um, Malk. I wasn't here last week, but I I just would like to also like state my what the fuckedness of what's happening with Hulk in the first place. I assume that was talked about a lot because it kind of makes sense, but doesn't at all. And I, I generally enjoy it, but I'm like, what the fuck is this? I definitely asked, asked all that in the comics recap. It's like, what is happening? Hulk is a spaceship <laughs> now yeah. piloted by Bruce Banner and he, powered yeah. by but the like, rage he's of He's basically Hulk. just wearing a couple of pieces of armor. And then Bruce is just in his brain. Like, I get it. Cause it's the body, but like, yeah, the whole concept is like, I just think this is like out there eighties out there. It feels like, well, it's just like anytime you have a writer that comes in to try to like, expand on hulk's mythology because a hulk when you just do the hulk smash stuff gets a little it gets a little old and like you can't have his own book sometimes it works really well with what you know al ewing did yeah but right now the donny kate stuff isn't that great and clark made a really good point you know like al ewing and donny kate basically switched books because like al ewing and uh, along with uh rom v uh they're both doing venom and donny kate's is doing hulk because they lost that bet they lost that bet (laughs) uh but like both books are now lesser than what they were before so yeah you know yeah we, or, we, we don't know is the answer yeah uh all right and so you're right <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to our last regular book of the week uh it's marvel voices uh identity and that's for aapi heritage month and so there were uh, a number of stories four stories actually so the first one was um uh jimmy Wu and shang chi chori and basically it was a knockoff of the squid game it was by porn sock uh uh pitch it shot uh, who is the writer, and Kreese Lee, who is the artist. And then you had a small story with uh, Ms. Marvel and Kamran uh, by Sabir Pirzada uh, and uh, drawn by Eric Coda. You had a story about Mantis by Jeremy Holt and Kay Zahn. Jeremy Holt! Jeremy Holt! Um, and, then finally, <laughs> and then finally, Wong fights a demon Girl Scout uh, in a story by Emily Kim and Ricky Yagawa. What do you guys think? I stories stick out to you? Yeah, I, I generally enjoyed all four of them. And I think, I'm trying to remember, I feel like one of the last voices you read was also similar. The goal to make shorter stories instead of one shot or one pagers, I think is paying off big time. Because yeah. even with not really reading any of these character stories very heavily, I was engaged, I was interested, and they, they played with them all really well. Even like the 
uh, Kamala uh, Miss Marvel situation, like I don't know who the fuck that blue guy was, but I was like, wow, this actually hurts and it makes sense. And like the emotion was there. It allowed you to like, it went through like really, I don't know. I just liked it a lot. And I think it wasn't, you know, it wasn't so, I think I really liked the idea of it being around the theme of identity for API month rather than just every single story being related to like everyday issues for API. Because I think it kind of gets to the point that we always talk about with like gay, you know, gay one-on-one is like, we want to see these characters exist, have their own stories and be people beyond just teaching lessons. And I like the way that that the teaching lesson kind of quote unquote was also really interconnected with Jimmy and uh, Shang-Chi storyline. So just overall, I thought it was like one of the best voices I think I've ever read because I felt very, very whole like and and uh, interesting. Yeah, I like the Wong story probably the best. Uh, I just sort of enjoy the character of Wong and I, I'm glad because he's doing so well in the MCU as like almost like Nick Fury 2.0, yeah. like the kind of the connective tissue among all the various movies. Um, and they're like trying to make his, you know, combo counterpart do that. Like, I like the idea of like this demon girl scout coming in and like, you know, him fighting her. Did you not get a men in black, uh, vibe? Little, uh, which is why I think the I like it. She's walking through a dark alley with a book on quantum physics. <laughs> There's something wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but the, the Shang-Chi and, uh, uh, Jimmy Woo story, while I like both characters a lot and the art was really nice. Gorgeous. I was completely taken out by the fact that it was a fucking Squid Game thing. Yeah. With the even with the fucking terrible like white guys in the animal mask, well, I could hear the I could hear the bad acting. But the, I was gonna say these guys are better actors. Though. Yeah, we're we're evil. You can tell because we're we're, 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 we're wearing masks and we're also gay. So deal with that. <laughs> yeah, we're gay and sexual predators yeah. and like we're racist. It yeah, but the problem like, is that these guys has had to act while they were writing the comic and they weren't really told what they were supposed to do. So that's why the acting was the so gi- bad. The <laughs> secrets, the Jimmy Woo Shang Chi one. To me, it's just started to get interesting toward the end where they're really talking about the difference that their perspective mm, Yeah, is. being Chinese-American versus being Chinese. And, and then, then they it ju- ends. And then it ends. <laughs> it ends. It's like, why couldn't it have just been a conversation about the two of them? Right. Because that's actually the, the really interesting part of Shang-Chi when we did our review of the movie is you had uh, Shang-Chi, his friend played by Aquafina. And then, um, you know, some of the characters back in, like, that magical sort of, yeah, like, like his, fa- yeah, right, right, right. his family uh, or his, like, you know, like, extended family, like, in, in like, that little magical thing yeah. where you have a difference between somebody who is Chinese-born and then moving to the United States, somebody who is uh, Chinese-American, like, second generation, born there, and then somebody who is still back, Native. you know, in, in their home country. I think that is an absolutely fascinating thing. And, like, I would have loved to have seen more of that. You didn't need this, like, Squid Game-esque, like, adventure uh you know beforehand i I think the the voices are getting better and i think that people should try and buy them more now especially um because these are good vignettes what i really would like for them to do is that when you're reading a shang chi storyline later that's compiled they throw this in somewhere because i do think that those kind of character moments are fun semi and not semi-annuals but like half annuals yeah uh, that I think help build out a character without necessarily like taking too much time. Well, next month, uh, it's going to be fucking gay y'all. Cause it's the pride month voices. We're, we're not reading that one. <laughs> no, obviously not. Uh, all we're right. Don't buy it. Let's do eternals. Uh, I, on a previous bunch of different podcasts that we have recorded, we did read, uh, eternals number one through six. This is actually more of a quick cap for seven through 12, but we've also got a nice recap uh, for everything. So Kieran Gillen, uh, for is uh, the writer 
for pretty much everything. And we're wrong with Isad Ribic and then uh, G Villanova. Gi. Gi. Okay, that's I did you I don't know what a hard G is apparently. Hard G is Gi. <laughs> soft G is G. I literally was rehearsing that in my head. I'm like hard G, so that's G. I agree. <laughs> I a G. I thought that was a soft G. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> G, I was like, I don't know why. I was like, G, it's usually G. Well, you got to let it come to room temperature. G, then it's a soft, soft G. G. Uh, G That's pretty good. Apologies. Uh, last November, we reviewed the first six issues of the Thanos and Ajax Makari one shots of the current Eternal series. Now, as the current series comes to an end and to get ready for Axe Body Spray, I mean, Axe Judgment Day. Lots of little connections there. We're going to review issues 7 through 12. Long-time listeners and readers recall that the Eternals Resurrection Machine was able to get back online, but every time an Eternal was resurrected, a human had to die. Very sad uh, cliffhanger for uh, number six or sort of outcome of uh, issues one through six. This led to a small group of Eternals, led by Icarus, to go to Lemuria to learn if they can change from their long-time adversaries, if they could learn change from their long-time adversaries, the Deviants. Thanos is still running around causing mischief, and he's got perennial Eternal traitor Druig helping him out. Turns out that Thanos' plan is to destroy the Great Machine, also known as Earth, who is also helping to be the series narrator. He invades Lemuria to kidnap the gay on screen but not gay on page, Fastos, to help him do that. The good guy Eternals realize that the only way they can stop him is to get the information from a Celestial. But of course, the only Celestial on Earth is serving as the current headquarters for the Avengers. They just carved out his brain. This leads to some good old-fashioned Marvel hero-on-hero infighting, and then we eventually learn... And then they eventually have a team up to take on Thanos. And a twist that everyone... Thanos is in it? (laughs) (laughs) Like the whole thing was just like, Thanos is here, part one through seven. Uh, And a twist that everybody saw coming, Ajax discovers that the Deviants are actually more important than the Eternals. And a lot of techno babble that had me reading the info page 17 times. I literally did. I was just like, so then, okay, so this goes here. That goes there. How does it fucking work? There's something Wait, involving Lagril. What does Lagril mean? <laughs> There's something involving celestial necrofluid, aka God's vomit or pus, or what I call my standard Saturday night. Gross. And the deviants are what? You wanna wanna be covered in God's pus? <laughs> What's wrong with you? What? I don't fucking know. Uh, it sounds like now I'm being channeled like, by the voice it sounds of like no, God's nut, bus. Oh null, God. Null's nut. <laughs> Null's nut. <laughs> and the, the, the deviants are just des- black. Yeah. The deviants are designed to be malleable to it. They've stabilized Kink in the it. Back. <laughs> They've either kicking sta- the bear back. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. Adam Reese. They have cause... either stable. Okay. Uh, there's lots of cum and pus from the God necrofluid. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Go back. Read more of that. <laughs> You're turning me on. <laughs> uh, the deviants are designed to be malleable to the celestial necrofluid, and they've either been stabilized by it or it's caused excess deviation. In the code of this issue and series, Druig determines, as kind of the new head since Thanos has been killed, that the mutants are the result of excess deviation. Gee, I wonder how that's going to happen in the MCU. Um, a lot happened, but not a whole lot happened. What you think? I think taken together, going back and reading the six issues and these seven through 12, it works a lot better. Yes. Number one, read together, but actually in the light of the movies. So I know we've talked a lot about how the movies can negatively taint yeah. the comics. Yeah. There are some ways in which they help sharpen what I a character is supposed to read like. 100%. Because when I go back and read Kingo for example, he reads as a completely different character having seen him as sarcastic. Like there's so much more subtlety 
in what this author is trying to do with the character that I didn't pick up originally. Yeah. And also um, Ajax in the movie realizing, oh, that like the um, uh, original like mission that the Celestial sent them on was actually wrong. Right. And, yeah. you know, and then, you know, the Ajax in the comic learning everything she knew is a lie. And, you know, it's really the deviants that are like the ones who are like more important than the internals like that. All that made sense. So it goes back to your point about how the movies can positively impact the comics with respect to the actual story and where it ultimately leads up to, to me, it seems like an excellent deconstruction of the eternals and the deviants. Hey, the, the people you thought were heroes, they have to kill someone every time that they get to come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The people you thought were villains, they had no choice in the change that happens to them and they're hunted continuously by the people you think are heroes. That to me is satisfying enough to allow this stupid, well, any change means that you're a deviant. <laughs> it does. And also I liked, like I was worried about like um, the retcon of the mutants being deviants. Yeah. Uh, the way they explained it here made a lot more sense. It's Agreed. like this necro fluid, this God pus that Adam really loves to be covered in every Saturday night um, is like it, it led Vomit to these, too. Uh, <laughs> that too. It leads to these like sort of like um, various offshoots of humanity and some of which survive and adapt, some of which die off pretty quickly. And so mutants being the result of that, this sort of genetic, you know, like mutation itself Sure. Why not? Why not have it be set off by like what the deviants they wanted? Were, like, I don't mind that. This actually, this does it sets up Judgment Day for me in a way that is far more interesting than I thought. Where you would start to that exact point of like, Jesus Christ, are they really going to retcon this back that far? People lose their minds, and I love that they immediately were like, No, there's two paths to get to this sort of like weird life form uh, deviation. It has nothing to do with like anyone being different than what they were. Cause it's like there was the deviants and then there was the earth light forms. Yeah. So I, they did such a good job of like giving it a little bit of a kick without changing anything that we've always known forever kind of idea. Yeah. And now I'm more interested in judgment day. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. We, we reviewed the uh, free comic book day one shot last week and I was like the lone person. I know you weren't on Adam. I like, liked it. I'm in. Okay. But like Clark, Brent and Ryan all hated it and they all yelled at me for Captain it. Marvel fucking broke rogues next. I mean, <laughs> Oh yeah, that's great. Uh, but the Avengers part of it still interests me the least because I really don't like this team of the Avengers at all. Yeah. At yeah, all. It's rough. Yeah. It's just not, and I don't like Jason Aaron's Avengers. You could, you could tell even in this sequence that, it's just too many people, to your point, both the Eter the Eternals now being written very similarly, I think, to a lot of their movie counter... Well, not even to their movie counter, because like Cersei's not written like Cersei, but no. like comic Cersei is... They're both good. I mean, she was kind of more of a cipher in the movie, but like comic Cersei is fucking awesome. Her and Namor is interact Like, they're, oh, everyone's interactions that. with each other is great, but to your point, you could tell that team has no chemistry. The Avengers, I should say. Yeah. Every other team was incredible. Cersei fucking showing up and bitch slapping them to be like, you guys are, you might be renting the place or you're like own the place, but like. It's a little all. hard for me to understand why they still couldn't involve the the Avengers at all. I don't get why. Keith they don't want, uh, they didn't want to them to know that Thanos was back and then also had been voted into the world mine. Like, but that was, that was l later in their process. They, they had like a flimsy justification early on to be like, Thanos is our problem, so we should deal with it. 
You're like, come on, why don't you just get some help? Go see a therapist. Yeah, I mean, the Avengers have been fighting Thanos for years, you yeah, know? Like, they, Thanos specifically said several times, boy, oh boy, I hope they don't let the Avengers know. I they, think I think it really just, like, boils down back to, like, the fact that they needed to get some information from that Celestial that, yeah. like, they're hanging out in, and um, the Eternals just did not want the Avengers to know about that. So I think it still yeah. would have caused a bit of weirdness and particularly it would still cause like people to, I think it would cause more infighting anyway. Cause think of when Ajax like originally was like they're in their fucking, they've carved out our God <laughs> and that's what they're there for. Like, I don't think they all know each other that well enough to actually have uh interaction. It's a big world. Yeah. You know, come on, get to know your neighbors. I'm really glad we did review this in chunks rather than issue by issue because oh, yeah. when we started that, I was like losing the thread and I think this book specifically like just reads well in like one sitting. Morris's like week, great month collect- to month. Collected issue is definitely the way to go. It with definitely those. has a nice uh galactic noir feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is much more enjoyable when read continuously. Yeah, and also I've never really enjoyed Eternals in the comics. Like, not Neil Gaiman didn't get me interested, and in it like it's not one of my favorite Jack Kirby creations. I know Clark goes on and on about the Walter <laughs> Simonson drawn one, like or all the characterization is. I've never read it, so I don't really care. But like, this is actually a good Eternal series. I think it does a much better job of justifying things like why don't the Eternals uh, interfere in human affairs? It's like, well. They have to be free to do whatever it is that humans are supposed to do. Otherwise, do we not think that they have agency? To nail down this much, I think, of the Eternal, like, re-kind of establishment, and just, what, 14 issues? Because it was the 12 plus the plus two, two one-shots. Plus two one-shots, yeah. Like, I, I think that's pretty incredible. Because, like, to your point, when we originally read this, and even after the or- original first six issues, I was like, oh, what a cool plot twist in terms of what the Eternals do. Right. But it, it really was this second arc of the story that got me even more connected to the first. And I just, he's really doing well. Like, Karen Gillen's knocking out of the fucking park. He's a phenomenal writer. Yeah. He doesn't always do it for me, but, like, when he hits, like this and Immortal X-Men, he fucking hits. So, I'm, yes, it is, you know, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me thrice, like a summer crossover Never Marvel. Never fool me again. <laughs> Never fool me again, which is my favorite James Bond movie. Um, I I know the summer crossover will ultimately disappoint me because like even writers I like oh, like yeah. will always like screw it up. But I'm still I'm excited for Judgment Day. I I, I just am. Well, because they'll follow. The biggest problem is the problem that we always talk about is that the X crossovers have been able to have twenty straight back to back issues of telling a story, whereas five mega issues to cram a bunch of story in while you have a random spinoffs that don't mean anything because you only want yeah. to people to buy the first five. It's I, I really hope they're smart enough to play a little bit more and put other things. But I yeah, I really worry that there'll be like a kickoff issue, a close issue and then a bunch of shit in between that really doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping it just plans really. Uh, uh, it plays out really well, I should say. Uh, but I'm still, as I said before, the Avengers inclusion makes me gives me the most pause. Yeah. Does it feel weird to you that or maybe it felt weird to me because I always kept reading. Druig is like excess deviation. Like he just seems excess like a fucking nutjob. Deviation. <laughs> like he well, just sounds like a crazy person. This is where I wanted Barry Keegan as Druig oh. because I had such a crush on him. That fucking like you know sunken-eyed Irish brogue. Just uh, what a little hottie. Oh All right, this is weird for me to do it because it's usually Ryan Krull's role, but we always like to wrap up our episodes with a little something we call "Plug Me, Daddy," where we each get a chance to quick. Glee highlight something <laughs> that we've <says>. read, <laughs> seen, heard, experienced, and wanted to share with you all, our silly little um, slut pigs. You got one? 
uh, yeah, I do actually. So uh, Hacks is back on HBO Max. Hacks is back, baby. Uh, and I watched the first two episodes, and I think it's a really good continuation of the first season. Yeah, like it does not have a sophomore slump yet. Um, I love that they're giving more uh, screen time to. Uh, I can't remember the comedian's name, but like Megan she, Stalter. Yeah, she plays the yeah. uh, the assistant. Yes, yeah. fucking great. She's I just, incredible. She's incredible, and I love the interaction with her and the agent. So, so good. And she had a profile that came out, I think it was like in the New Yorker. And the title was Megan Stalter knew she was special and has been waiting for everyone to catch up. (laughs) Yeah. I also love, you know, like her manager, who's the really hot gay black guy. Yeah. And like when he goes to drop off like his ex's like, you know, like flaxseed or whatever (laughs) the fuck. And his roommate's like, yeah, he eats all my fucking cheese. So you can say whatever you want. and I'll say it. Like, why don't you say party? That seems like less desperate. Like, I love that scene so much. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, That's my plug. I mean, if we're we're on a TV show pitch. Barry. Barry. Oh, is it start. I need to start season three. We're four episodes in. uh, it, It really starts to highlight a lot more of the darkness of Barry that has, I think, been a little bit sidelined by the sense of quirkiness of Bill Hader because there's, there's tons of scenes that you see where Barry is this intense guy who does awful things. Yeah. But this one is like, this season is not letting you escape the reality of what he's. Oh, in. that's It's the Tony Soprano thing that I was talking about earlier. It's yeah. like, he's no, such a wonderful he's a, character. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's, he's such so, a lovable guy. So handsome. So it's great. Yeah. What about you, Adam? Oh my God. What am I plugging? Um, ricotta pancakes. Right. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm actually going to do the a th- word Wednesday. It's I, a Glade plug-in. I'm doing Smell a great. throwback because uh, I had recently, I was trying to find a new strategy RPG to play. It's very hard to find those because I've played them all. But I realized for, uh, have you guys ever heard of the series XCOM? Yeah. Yeah. So XCOM 2, like it's been out forever. I've had so it many journeys. Capcom, then XCOM. <laughs> I've had so many journeys of playing through that this game and trying to get through it and buying on different editions. And I beat the original XCOM 2 a long time ago when I bought like the, do- the dual pack with the DLC for Switch. But after I got finished, I was like, it's a different story. The war- There's a, I think it's, I always, oh yeah, it's War of the Chosen because I always think in my head XCOM 2 Revenge of the Fallen. I'm like, no, that's Transformers. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> they have a, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to fucking replay this again. I'm like, who gives a shit? Let's put another hundred hours into this. So I did start playing it this week while I was traveling and like, it just fucking holds up so well. Like the gameplay is so fun. It's like really good tactics battling. And then, yeah. So I would just say, if you haven't ever played XCOM two, or if you bought the double pack and never played the sequel or the DLC, that's basically just a completely new game. Get it right now. Can I redo my plug me daddy? Yeah. Cause why not? I, I realized that, I was just piggybacking off yours and I didn't have a real one, but you said going, ba- going, going back and revisiting something, going back and revisiting the good place. Mm. Like a couple days ago, uh, John Stewart had a conversation with Michael Shore at, uh, 92 Y, um, where they just talked about Michael Shore's work and what it means. You can catch it on YouTube. Yeah. It's a really great interview and a really great discussion discussion. Yeah. Hilarious. Check it out. Michael Shore and John Stewart. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. All right. That's been our podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Homosphere X and Instagram at Homosphere Podcast. And check us out at the Awesome Con panel. 
uh, queerness and the X Men. Is that the name of it? Sure. <laughs> we get <laughs> we get zero dollars for you showing up. But you can throw a dollar on the stage and we'll dance for you. Yeah, I'll and if you give Brent me, will take quarters, nickels and pennies. Yeah. You if you no start, dimes though. If you start throwing pennies at me, I will sing the tune to Homo Superior endlessly <laughs> on a loop. Uh, we've been Homo Superior and today you get to be the person who is right about one thing that you can correct people on. So start correcting. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, little homie. Bye. Bye.